minute remaining. And they're putting Curry in the pick and roll, trying to get him on Irving. Irving and Curry, one-on-one. -on -one. Irving puts it up. It's good. Kyrie Irving from downtown. Fourth quarter for Cleveland, including this one. They came out of the timeout set to get Steph Curry on Kyrie Irving. They get exactly what they want. Everybody out of my way. It's time to dance. Get some one-on-one. Laws of the sleep. Forces a late contest. Welcome to Views from the Clutch. I go by the name of Smart Alex. I'm here with my brother from another. C. Grant, what up? And we are here, back in the flesh, finally, after an extended delay for episode 17 of Views from the Clutch. As always, we would like to take this time out to say big time thank you to all of our supporters, everybody giving us feedback, all the people liking our Facebook page. So if you haven't been made aware, please visit our Facebook page. It is under the name of Views from the Clutch, where you can send us a like, drop some feedback, let us know what you'd like to see or hear in our future podcast and on that note we're gonna go ahead and get episode 17 started with a bang bro it's been a while shout out to anchor uh-huh <laughs> shout out to anchor um gratefully the fans won't really you know know much but behind the scenes we were definitely going through some things trying to get ourselves to this latest episode but i'm glad that we're back all it has done is strengthen our resolve and made us aware that there's obviously some additional weaponry we're going to have to include in our um, in our future developments. But let's go ahead and kick off episode 17. What was the first topic on the agenda? What are we going to discuss? Brother? Yeah, the start the most recent Team USA, almost, almost, almost by the skin of their teeth, they almost lost today. They almost lost to Turkey, who has um, a couple of um, familiar faces. Ersan, Ersan Ilyasova, who plays for the Bucks, is a member of the Turkish national team, as well as Seti Ozman. Yep, I believe is a member. Exactly, who plays for the who, play, who plays for the Cavs? Yeah, that's LeBron's replacement. You know, well, he he, he is a couple of a couple of his highlights was man, it looked like Cleveland was going to be in good hands the way he was playing. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I know, I know that probably came off a little facetious or sarcastic, but he literally was the starting small forward in lieu of LeBron James departing for Los Angeles. So, you know, take that how you want, but that's literally what he did. Um, yeah, man. Um, after I didn't get to see the game live, as you know, those games are airing from across the pond and they're airing at a rather late hour. No, no, they're actually, uh, no, they're airing in the morning. Eight, Early, I'm eight, sorry. 8.30 in the morning. morning. And not just that, they're not airing on TV, they're airing on ESPN Plus, which Plus. is ESPN's streaming service that you have to pay for. So they're not even, uh, they're not even one of those things where, I guess, ESPN or NBA TV, dot, NBA wants to um, actually figure out their ratings with that. They're like, you know what, let them play this out because this ain't, this is not the tier one team USA that we would like to see. So, and I also think that as they progress, they'll probably move the games because um, it's a sad fact, but it's true. Um, the betting line almost always plays a factor in what makes it on national TV. If you were talking about a money event, which is what this whole situation with the United States national basketball team is becoming. They'll find a way to get to some some network, 
that's affiliated with whoever has the original broadcast rights. So basically ESPN has the broadcast rights and those broadcast rights allow them to distribute it on whatever channel they want. They chose EPN, ESPN Plus, which ESPN Plus has got me twice because Kobe Bryant detail I found to be a very intriguing thing to watch and hear him break down his analysis of how basketball players play. And he also had a couple of guest hosts on there. There was one where, um, I'm not going to mention out of basketball, but he had, I think, Diana Taurasi do a um, do a detail and another basketball player did a detail for him. So ESPN Plus, it, it, has its, it has its perks. So I'm not taking anything away from that. But yeah, the fact that it's playing on like a sister's third cousin channel version of ESPN definitely doesn't make it any more accessible than what it already tough to is to do. I mean, we both wake up in the morning and put our kids to school. So the likelihood of us being able to really tune in and give that, 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 you know, that dead on detail look at the game is kind of tough. So I saw a lot of the game through replays and like big um, chunks of it being available on YouTube. Cause it just seems like immediately it was on YouTube to watch. Yes, sir. And, whew, I don't even know if an hour gives us enough to cover some of the different dilemmas that that team is, is, is faced with. First and foremost, Jason Tatum hurt himself. So he needs to be reevaluated by, I think, Wednesday in regards yeah. to his ankle, yep. which he hurt. Which he hurt sometime, I believe. No, it was the last play of the game. He passed the yeah. ball. Well, not the last play. The, the leading to the game-winning free throws, he was on the fast break, and he passed the ball to Chris Middleton, who got fouled on the layup attempt. But that's when he he rolled his his left ankle. So I mean, for for them, you Team USA up next is China, who's zero and two, who doesn't their their highlight is the the rookie from Gonzaga, uh, Rory. I don't want to Rui Rui Hashimura. Yeah, so he's actually he's actually looking spectacular in this. But China is zero and two. So if there is a team where Tatum needs to sit out just to kind of rest ankle. This is the game that is probably best that it happens. I mean, and the U.S. has already solidified their spot in the second round. So these are just still like group play, mm-hmm. I believe. I don't think this is a second round game when they play China. You can't play a 0-2 team in the, in the second round. So I'm pretty sure they're just finishing out the round robin level of the group play of playing everybody in their group. So, yeah, I do expect that Tatum will not play the um, – the beauty of the situation is that now, and we've discussed this on previous podcasts, that roster's locked. They're locked to the 12 guys that they have. So nobody's coming home unless they're in a situation where they have to come home because they just physically can't get the treatment that they need locally where they're at. But, um, yeah, whatever, whatever Tatum's health situation is, is going to play out for the remainder of the time that the United States is still in this tournament. So that's going to be a development to watch because, you know, you got a lot of Boston Celtics property on that roster, and I'm pretty sure uh, – Trader Danny made a couple of phone calls to Greg after that game. Like, yo, listen. I mean, any good GM would. But uh, uh-huh. back to the actual game itself. What What are some of your takeaways? Because I don't want to. Uh, a couple of my takeaways are Team USA. I mean, it's I'm, there are times, where, in my opinion, where Kimba Walker's out there by himself. He seems like the only person that's really consistently aggressive, looking to either create his own shot or create shots for others. He didn't shoot particularly well this game. He shot five for 14, but he had 14 points, uh, seven assists, and he had six rebounds. I mean, he was the third leading rebounder on the team, and he led the team in assists. And Middleton had 15, who led the, 
who led them, but he was second in scoring. But I'm looking at Team USA. Guys aren't aggressive enough. I mean, when they're they're playing against these teams, the level of physicality is amplified than the NBA. I mean, honestly, the way these teams play is almost like the 90s NBA with the level of aggressiveness that they're allowing. There's a level of Rikers Island intensity going on in these these games. Like, honestly, if somebody came out and subbed in and had on (laughs) Tim's, wouldn't really be that much of a surprise. The level of the, the level of physicality that they allow in international play, which, to be honest with you, it's kind of it's kind of entertaining to watch. It's kind of entertaining to watch these internationals guys, you know, challenge. I don't want to say the manhood, but the the, the literal, you know, stand up mm-hmm. that these that these NBA players have to have to to be able to endure and win a national team. You know the. the it's not going to be easy. There's no baby fool being served over there right now. And definitely nothing in the paint. Because what I found intriguing, like you said, is it wasn't a lack of aggression. It was the fact that once they got into the paint, they could not finish anything. Yeah. And, and that's where that separation of the tier A and tier B, tier C, whatever you want to call these group of players that got sent over there, starts to really show us ugly head. I mean, Chris Middleton is a fine NBA player. He's an all-star, but he, he's not catching no posters. No, 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 no. I mean, you know, he's not. They don't have. There's no intimidation factor either. When they, when back in the day, when even back in the day, heck, a couple of years ago, when you saw Team USA, you saw the Kobe's, you saw the Durant's, you saw the LeBrons, the Westbrooks, the K, the KDs, the Kyrie's, the Stephs. When you look at, it, you're looking like, wow, okay, this is the top tier. T- other countries are looking at. Okay, so you're, gonna, you're looking at the creme to the creme. Yeah. You're looking at. You're looking at now, arguably the best of the best. Exactly, and now they're looking at it like who? They, I mean, there's literally probably. I mean, honestly, there's probably for the average viewer, there are people on this Team USA team that people are like, well, who is that? What team he played for? What, what? I'm not too sure. What? What? Who is that dude? Yeah, if you didn't watch the three point contest, you have no idea why Joe Harris is out there. Yeah, none. And he's got significant minutes. It's not like he's not playing. He is, and he's actually providing some type of scoring. He definitely gets a lot of. He's he's getting a little chippy though, because I noticed he picked up a technical foul. If I'm not mistaken, he picked up a technical foul. Uh, I think it was the last game or this game, and it was kind of like, you know, he he. I guess he's he's not used to the aggressive play, or when he tries to return the favor, he's getting the whistle blown called on him. So that, and that's that kind exactly of a deterrence. But that's also referees looking at you like, we're not used to play, see you playing aggressive, so we're going to let it slide. Um, well, those referees really aren't used to much of anything because I don't believe they're staffed with any of the NBA's roster oh, of referees not. over there. No, because no, no, no. a lot of those NBA refs wouldn't want to take the gamble of going over there and having a ref international-style basketball and the difference in rules being so drastic. And you know it's it's important to get those calls on the fly, but the but I think you 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 very well know what happens when you get an international sports call wrong versus what happens when you get an NBA call wrong. Get an NBA call wrong, the fourth quarter report comes out a couple of days later. Yeah, the refs blew six calls. You get a fourth quarter wrong call in international play, the whole crowd yeah, the con- is coming down yeah. on you. Like referees have died. Referees have been assaulted. International competition is not a joke. You, you have the energy and the spontaneity of the entire world descending upon an athletic event. Things can go left. 
I don't think NBA refs are compensated well enough or even feel like it's worth their time to be a part of it. So we're not dealing with NBA referees over there. So that equity that they would have with some of these refs coming over into an international competition, it doesn't exist. So exactly what you said, I believe to be the case. Joe Harris tried to get funky and the refs is like, hey, what are you doing? You're not about this life. You know, Mm -hmm. so... That, you know, he's getting G-checked, and it's probably a conducive message that being sent to the remainder of the team, like, hey, y'all not over here in the United States to be goons, and if y'all engage in goonish behavior, because we're not familiar with you acting this way, we're probably gonna call it. But, I mean, yeah, yeah. I mean, in, in a nutshell, I think this Team USA, they're, they're gonna, it's gonna be a, it's gonna be a rough road for them to get to these finals if they're able to make it. Like I said, Kimba's out there, seems like he's playing by himself. Uh, the money is actually against them winning. Yeah, that's why I was mentioning it earlier. The Vegas odds have lowered; they're like negative one ten. I'm not, a, you know, full fledged gambler to tell you exactly what that means, but the money is now in favor of you betting against them and making a profit. So they're, like I said, when when games start to change with the money, where you wind up getting to see them as far as like distribution changes too. So with, with as much attention as they're getting for the wrong reasons, the possibility of losing. There's, there's a chance that one of these games winds up on ESPN too. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, oh yeah, big time, and, and very soon because right. at this point people are finding out secondhand and after the fact. You know, you finished up your work commute, you just walked into work, and that one guy in your cubicle is like, "Hey, Bob, did you know that the Team USA just won a one-point overtime game? Like, what? You yeah. played this morning? Exactly. So you, you, you got that like almost like it's almost like." old NBA where they used to tape delay games. Uh-huh. Like you've got that type of effect going on as far as how the news is traveling. So the average basketball fan, consumer, they may not really be hip. So they come home to the evening sports and, and, and they're seeing these sensational titles. Oh, USA basketball is in trouble. Is this the end of the dominance of USA and blah, blah, blah. And it's valid. With that current team, uh-huh. those sensational headlines actually have weight. Nothing can be taken to, to say that, you know, they're making a big deal out of what's happening. It's true. Mm-hmm. U.S. is in trouble. And to get back on, on a more analytical perspective, first off, let, let's just be real. Team USA is lucky to have won that game, period. It took Turkey missing four consecutive free throws. Mm-hmm. It took overtime. Well, also took them the... the uh, they were down. Well, no, to, to end regulation, Jason Tatum got fouled on a three-point shot. That is, he could have ended the game had he made three free throws. Exactly. So, but the thing about it, had Turkey not fouled him and just contested the shot, there's a chance that he misses anyway. Yeah. So they could have lost then because they were down. They were down. Um, they were down two. So the fact Correct. that he, he shot the three and he got fouled and the guy hit his foot. So it's almost like he, I to say he stuck his foot out, but. It looked kind of looked like it could have been, you know, where but the guy did kind of kind of run him down. So you got to get a person the opportunity to land, and he definitely gave him the opportunity to land. So yeah, he was not having that. You're gonna take the game winning shot, land cleanly, yeah, go screaming off, and 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 make me a part of a highlight. That was his whole entire energy for that whole entire situation. I agree with you on that. So yeah, so and it, and there were times where U.S. was down. Heck, at one point in overtime. They were down by five, and Kimba had to had to go his own personal five zip run to get them in the to game. Get them back, yeah, to get them tied back in. And then actually, Kimba stepped in and took a charge when it was an opportunity for Turkey to go up. 
by uh, mm-hmm. go up two. So like I say, like I said, Kimba's out there. He's doing his part. Hopefully, the rest of the hopefully this is a wake up call for USA and letting people know like yo, it ain't sweet out here. So y'all, y'all just one point win. You know, hopefully y'all can figure it out because there's other teams with other NBA players. So yeah, they've definitely got to circle their wagons and make sure that those guys that Popovich is given the green light to take those shots because the combined accuracy of like Tatum, uh, Tatum, Kemba, and I forgot who who was the third guy taking shots, but it's not um, Chris Middleton. I think it's Donovan Mitchell. I think they were combined like an eight for thirty two up yep. until like the start of the fourth quarter. And yeah, yeah, you're no right. team, no no team, no matter how good they are, is going to be able to overcome that against a quality basketball team. I mean, if you think about it, it's honestly luck that they managed to get to ninety some odd points, haven't shot that bad, mm-hmm. because those are those are three primary scorers who all rely on perimeter activity. Yep. And, you know, Kimba, he gets his basket drives because he's just, like, obviously elite when it comes to finishing at the rim for his height. But Donovan Mitchell is more of an above-you kind of guy. So is Tatum. Like, they're not a above-you-and-through-you type of player that, like, LeBron James, Carmelo mm-hmm. in his prime, you know, the, 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 the creme de la creme of the NBA. These aren't guys that are, like, have put that part of their game together yet where, like, no matter who's in front of me, Either the ref is calling something, or the shot is going in. Absolutely. And I think that I think that I think that Popovich is kind of enjoying it. Popovich is type of he's that type of coach that he lives for the challenge. Mm-hmm. He, he lives for the challenge. So them them walking off the court with blood in their mouth, I'm pretty sure that excites him. So cool. like I'm you said, I'm, yeah. I'm looking forward to seeing if if you know Team USA is able to figure it out. In my mind, I still have the same expectations. Even with that roster, bring back that goal, you know? Bring back that goal. If y'all don't, it's not like I'm going to, you know, hold it over the head or whatever, but the expectation and belief is that even with that roster, they'll figure it out and be able to get it together, but they definitely are making the story that much more interesting. But on that note, we'll we'll move on to topic number two. Um, Joe Johnson is getting NBA workouts because of his recent – Cottage cheese shredding of the big three. Mm-hmm. Have you they, seen any uh, of the game tape? Oh, of, yeah. Of, of yeah, his run yeah. through the big three? Yeah, no, nah, he's been phenomenal. Joe Johnson has been ISO Joe till his fullest. He has been very efficient. He has been uh he's been scoring a lot of points. Uh he actually led the big three in in scoring point, scoring and assists. So that that helped him as well, and he was hitting game winners. So he he, he hit a game winning four pointer. Yeah. So when that happens, you start you start going viral. People start paying attention, and once people start looking, like, yo, he can actually still play. And so yeah. that's what, and teams need need not just veterans, but he's already accepted the reduced role already. So and you yeah, see, he he's ready for he he he's ready for microwave duty you know mm-hmm. i look for if joe johnson gets put on a roster a roster of the right caliber that he'll contend for six man of the year if he's given those minutes and the opportunity to actually go out and you know i don't think compete. he'll get i don't think he'll get those type of minutes i mean that's that i don't know if a contender is willing to get what is he 36 uh 38 38 uh, yeah i don't know if a contender is going to give joe johnson uh that type of those type of minutes 
I mean, 20 minutes a game? 20, I mean, because when he last played in the NBA, he played for he Houston. He played for the Rockets. Yeah. But I don't yeah, there's no, He's not a Houston Rockets guy. He's not a Mike D'Antoni guy anymore. Like, that was part of the reason why he left Mike D'Antoni. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because he wanted to be able to have an opportunity to dribble 18 times before he put up a jump shot. No, absolutely. And, but where, I mean, I, right, the, the teams that they say are going to work him out are, are Detroit, Milwaukee, Brooklyn. He can go back to the Nets. Uh, and I think it was Philadelphia, and it was one other team. But I didn't see, I didn't see, I didn't, I didn't see him getting. It would just depend. I mean, like I said, it depends on how those workouts go. Of those three situations, one way he could definitely contend for six man of the year is in Detroit, and yeah. he actually and Milwaukee elevates Milwaukee them too. might help him too, though. Yeah, he could play in Milwaukee, but Milwaukee in the type of system that um that their coach deploys, he he's more of a ten man rotation type of guy. True, and he's not going to tilt the offense for you. Like that's never been. Mm-hmm. That, remember, he's a Spurs disciple. What is it? Budenholzer. Yeah. Budenholzer is a big time is a big time proponent of the Spurs way of play where all five guys are involved. Even with the situation where they have Giannis who's so ball dominant, they still figured out a way to develop a system so that nobody felt left out. True. 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 That true. was part of why Milwaukee was so successful because it's not like he really changed much of what he did with what he did with the Hawks. I mean, he ran the offense through Paul Millsap with the Hawks. Mm-hmm. Now he just inverted it and use and uses Giannis, and Giannis has a different skill set. So of course there's going to be a different look, but the concept is still the same. If I have one player who I know is above and beyond, at least as good as one of your best players on the opposing team, then I can I can let him be my fulcrum. I can let him be my foundation, and we can work off of his skills and talents to develop a personality for our team. He's not going to do that playing from Milwaukee. Well, let me say this: Was Coach Bud Joe Johnson's coach in Atlanta at some point? Absolutely not. He left. Absolutely okay. not. So Joe Johnson was already uh, going by when, then. When Joe Johnson left Atlanta to go to the Nets, I don't even know who Atlanta's coach was at the time. I'm not well, sure if they had. Was it Woodson, right? Would they already get rid of Woodson it, at that point? It might have been. What, what did Woodson do? Like 27 games as the Hawks coach? Like did no, he, he, he finish the season? Was, nah, he, uh, Woodson was Hawks coach for years. Mike Woodson, former coach of the uh, of the Knicks. Yeah. That Woodson? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. He was definitely the coach. He coached Atlanta. He coached Atlanta for six years, for 2004 to 2010. And that was kind of when they were rising up. Because he just, because he's, yeah, he got them his last year. They were in this conference in this finals, 53 and 29. Yeah. I mean, listen, I'm not trying to take anything away from Mike Woodson. He was actually one of my favorite coaches. Even in college, I like them to coach. So I don't, I don't want to, you know, denigrate anything that he's done as as an NBA coach. Like I don't, don't want to take away from that. Um, so yeah, but so, that yeah. no, that that Hawks team, the Hawks teams that he had, like now, I'm curious to see. Like, damn, the 2009 2010 Hawks, who was even on that roster? I think they were 53. It was, it was so it was it was Josh Smith. It was Al Horford. Um, it had to been. It had to be uh, Jeff Teague. You know, it had to be um, probably Kyle Korver over there. Yeah, Joe Johnson era. So Joe Johnson played from two thousand five to two thousand twelve. So for the Hawks. For the Hawks, yeah. Okay, so he was part of them winning. Okay, so now it all starts to make sense. 
Okay. Fair enough. Joe Johnson did spend some time playing for Mike Woodson as the Atlanta Hawk, on the Atlanta Hawks. Uh-huh. But then, of course, you know, he had that era where he came to Brooklyn and he decimated the remainder of Paul Pierce's. <laughs> I'm never going to forget that, man. Like, they, like, I hope Joe Johnson has that, like, that, a picture of that in his game room or man cave or whatever the case would be. All right, my, 2009 Hawks roster. Mike Bibby, Jason Collins, Jamal Crawford, Maurice Evans, Horford, Joe Johnson, Randolph Morris, who never played, Petrulia, Joe Smith, Josh Smith, Jeff Teague, Mario West, and Marvin Williams. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And Larry Jones. Oh, Mike Bibby. Oh, my big, Mike Bibby was still there. Okay, I forgot. That's right. Yeah. Joe, that was, I think Jamal Crawford was... Um, Six man of the year, probably. I think. I mean, I'm not 100 percent sure. What, what year was it? Jamal Crawford top five or six man of the year? Like oh, Jamal Crawford's not. Yeah, he might not yeah. even play this season, and he'll still get votes for for six man of the year. Like he's that good. Like, yeah. so I don't want to take nothing away from him. But um, back to Joe Johnson, who is the central figure of this topic we're trying to talk about. Um, I see as far as best fit from a basketball perspective, as far as the type of player Joe Johnson is. You're talking about a 38 year old guy who you know what is it, you can't teach old dogs new tricks? Like, you don't want to turn a guy who's doing what he did in the big three into a spot-up shooter. You want to be able to give him those those medium post opportunities so that he can go into his fadeaway skill set because that's what was making him so hard to guard in the big three. You definitely want to give him those live dribble opportunities above the three-point line with maybe a screen or something to get his man, you know, a little bit off him a little bit so that he can, he can take a, a contested pull-up or whatever the case may be. I don't think you get that type of ingenuity or, or, or that type of basketball is, is preferred by Budenholzer, or, or who was the other option? Who um, I think he fits best in Detroit. That's yeah, the yeah, basic yeah, answer. Yeah. Okay, yeah, yeah. I mean, so far from what we see, yeah. I mean, because I think, because again, like we haven't gotten there yet, and oh, it's about we're September. Ooh, we. All right, we're gonna have to clarify when the official beginning of the NBA preseason is, so that we can start doing our rundown blogs. So our podcasts are gonna become pretty. Uh, we're probably gonna wind up having to do double sessions or something like that just so that we get through them in a timely fashion and still be able to talk about what's live. But um, pretty soon we'll be giving you our season preview team by team. But back to Joe Johnson. So, yeah, I see him fitting in Detroit because of the type of coach they have there, who was the former coach of the Toronto Raptors, and Dwayne Casey, who's now led them to the playoffs with that piecemeal team that they put together now. And I think he would be a great fit because you've got Derrick Rose, who, you know, he's been through his trials and tribulations, but he's probably going to contend or try to contend to get Reggie Jackson to not be the starting point guard. You still have a veteran in Blake Griffin. Um, you got their franchise player in um, Andre Drummond. And a, a player of Joe Johnson's caliber, you give him 20 to 25 minutes a night. Now, maybe you don't do it every night because of his age, obviously. But if you give him or you keep him in that 20 to 25 minute range a night with the type of players that you put on the floor next to him, I think he could be very productive. He's a threat. He's a threat. And anybody who's going to be on the floor that's going to make it easier for a guy like Blake Griffin or Andre Drummond to operate, you got to keep him on the floor. Like, who, who's playing the wings for that? We're going to talk about Luke Kennard again? We're not going to do that, are we? <laughs> you know? No, I follow you. I follow it, like I said, it, it, will be, it will be something to see if it's actually going to be some, like, get some legs behind us. I would just like the idea of hearing Joe Johnson and Detroit basketball. It it sounds good to me. Sounds good to me. But you know what, Joe Johnson, best of luck to you. I mean, whatever team 
if a team does allow you to return to the NBA, I welcome you with open arms. I, I really, really was disappointed in, in your final season in Houston, not by you, but more so by how you were treated and how you were deployed in that situation. Because, I mean, I just think it's silly the way Mike D'Antoni allows certain guys the right to dribble. But then you add a guy like Joe Johnson to your roster, and you say, no, nah, go stand in the corner. Like, come on, bro. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Like, you didn't coach this guy in Phoenix and watch him, watch him run the pick and roll when Steve Nash was out of the game? He was the backup point guard. While being the starting two or three or whatever position he played for Phoenix, like, give him some ball handling responsibilities. Let James Harden catch a breather. You know? But, again, coaches just sometimes with older players, they have their mind made up and their system and – it, it can trap guys and making them look bad when they haven't. There was an addendum to one of what I wanted to mention, but we'll, we'll talk about it at the end of the cast. Um, do you have any additional thoughts about Joe Johnson as far as? No, I think it's just a it's a win for the big three. The fact that he's getting workouts because you don't you going forward that this can the NBA and the big three could work hand in hand with players trying to get back into the league during the summertime with the popularity of the big three getting bigger and hopefully better. Uh, seeing these guys still stay in shape, I think it will help the the fact that guys leave the NBA and say, you know what, I still got a little bit, I still got something in the tank. Let me go to the big three and show 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 the NBA now that they're watching it already, what I have left and show them that I can actually still contribute. So, I think that's going to help both both parties. You know, what the big three has taught me, and what is it on season two now? Three. They just finished season or three. Or season three? three. They just finished three. What, it, what it's taught me is that, that that wall of silence that Carmelo Anthony is a quote-unquote victim of or trying to fight his way through, it exists for a lot more players than we know about. Because you see these guys playing in the big three, and you remember the last time they played in the NBA, and you wonder, like, well, why isn't he in the league? Mm-hmm. Like, what really is the reason why he isn't in the league? Some of them, it makes sense, you know? Like, there's no reason for you to be wondering why Mahmoud Abdul-Raouf is not playing for some team. The guy's 55. Fair enough. Yeah, but Scalabrini. he was also well, – I mean, that might be a whole other discussion. He was also blackballed out the NBA. He was one of the first people blackballed out the NBA. Yeah. And, and there's a myriad of reasons behind it. I think it, it goes back to – at that time, people didn't really understand mental illness, and Mahmoud Abdul-Raouf has Tourette's syndrome, along with some other situations going on with, with, with his mental. And until he got properly treated and was able to, you know, get everything under order, a lot of people took a lot of the things that he was saying and doing to be, a, you know, like this is the same person acting crazy when it was actually the opposite. This is somebody who was crying for help. Well, remember, he was also... He had the, the controversy with the flag, not wanting to stand for the flag. or, or Correct. Not, um, so the NBA during that time frame, they were getting him out of here. I mean, because remember, the NBA also has a... Yeah, he was Kaepernick before Kaepernick. I, I didn't mm-hmm. want to really get, you know, like you said, I, we might have to just like sit back and, and revisit his whole entire situation. There were a lot of things going on with Mahmoud Abdul-Raouf. The thing that I, I chose to, to point to was the fact that, like, again, like he, 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 he was demonstrating a need for help and that type of help wasn't yet on the menu or available to him. And obviously it didn't affect his love of the game. He definitely stayed in shape and found a way to keep himself. Uh-huh. I mean, because he's still a knockdown shooter. Yo, yeah. Cause you see him in the big three. He's, he's, he's hitting those wild shots and the, the release is so fast. He's get- And it's always been that way. And a lot of people have said that, you know, there are certain guys who were, like, you could say they were one of the best college basketball players ever. 
Shaquille O'Neal to this day says Chris Jackson, which is what Mahmoud Abdul-Raouf's birth name was, is one of the best college basketball players he's ever seen in his life. He put up 63. That's crazy. He put up 63 at, at LSU. All jump shots. Because he wasn't a dunker. He wasn't a drag you to the basket and one. T-. No. Well, yeah. And then, he, was getting, and, he was getting gun work. Well, and also he wasn't on the um, big heavy on the three-point shooting at that point. Yeah, so he was scoring 63 on twos. That's even more frightening. Yeah, pretty much. Because that means that, like, he crossed half court, get the ball, two dribbles. You, you taking the ball out the net. That's painful. Yeah. Yeah, man. Um, Mahmoud, you one of the goats, and, and obviously your legacy continues to live, I, and I definitely appreciate and respect because he, he's a reminder that, you know, us people who, quote, unquote, stop playing the game for whatever reason we have, we don't really have an excuse. Get out there and play the game as long as you can, man. You know, appreciate uh-huh. the game for as long as you can possibly enjoy it because you never know when, when, when that opportunity is not going to be available to you forever. So take advantage of your opportunities to go out there and exhibit your love for the game, not just by listening to this podcast, but, you know, get out and, and exercise, man. I'm all for fitness and staying in the best shape you can, even as you accumulate in age. Topic number three, Eric Gordon. Eric, 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 Eric Gordon. University of Indiana, mm-hmm. three years, fifty-four million. Houston Rockets. Yeah, they got that bag. He got that bag. Three years, fifty-four million. What is that like? It's under twenty. It's about seventeen. Like Team, yeah. That's a nice bag. That's a nice bag for Eric Gordon. Um, I'm glad he stayed in Houston. His game makes the most sense where he's currently playing. He's one of those players where I'm pretty sure he could go somewhere else and fit in. He has played on other other franchises. I believe he started out as a Clipper mm-hmm. and then wound up getting moved to the Hornets. And then from the Hornets, I, I'm not sure where his career took him, but then he eventually landed in Houston. And he's been a part of that whole Houston transformation. So it's definitely good to see them hold on to somebody who has been consistent for the entire time that he's been wearing your uniform. So, yeah, give him that bag. Uh-huh. Give him that bag. And to be honest with you, three years, $54 million in the era of what these other guys are getting, eh, it's not bad. No, well, not for his, his level of production. Is it? Yeah, you're talking about, what, like a career, 38 to 37% three-point shooter, uh-huh. 17 points a game. Yep. And he does that with, with minimal usage in comparison to the fact that you're playing alongside the biggest usage guy in the league in history, arguably, uh-huh. and you're still able to get enough attention or enough touches to put up 17 points a game, kudos to him, man. He compliments what they do. He helps balance out that, 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 that side of the court where he's posted up on that wing so that James Harden, when he does decide he want to go to the basket, there's, there's a lane available for him because people are not leaving Eric Gordon to come help off of them. So he's definitely earned what he's got, and – I don't have any qualms about him getting it. I mean, I know he's a little bit more advanced in age. What is he now, 31? <laughs> you said advanced in age, like 30. Well, as far as for yeah, as far as for NBA. Yeah, yeah, yeah. As far as NBA. He's about, what? Well, yeah, he's about 30. Yeah, he'll, he'll turn 31 this season. Right. So, I mean, I've always been a big fan of him, even when he was in college and he was miscast as a point guard in Indiana. But he did his job serviceably. I think he was one of the last guys to actually, like, play for, I think, Bobby Knight. Before Bobby Knight's career was done. Or he might have been one of the first of whatever the replacement coach for Indiana was, Arrow, but he came into college highly, highly, highly talented. Like,
Like he was uh-huh. McDonald's All American and, and all those things. He led the he, he was one of the he led the Big Ten in scoring as a freshman. Twenty one point five points per game. That's serious right there. Yeah, so he Clippers, Pelicans, Rockets. That's his career uh-huh. arc. And hopefully he'll get to finish out as a Rocket or I don't know, maybe he'll get a homecoming on that Clippers team for, like, his last season. Whatever the case may be, like, he's definitely served his purpose. He definitely, you know, and, and undersized guards with a gun, you know, they always seem to be able to stick around. Yeah, yeah, definitely. So, you know, kudos to him. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, and he he's he played on the, um, an Olympic team as well, too. So, Fever, he did Fever. He did Fever. So yeah, he played still, for the national team. Yeah, yeah, but it's all good. Uh, other than that, yeah, man. you know, he, um, to that legacy. Yeah, so so like I said, kudos to him. And um, the next the next topic, I guess we got up is kind of it was kind of following up the dunk, the dunk uh, greatest dunkers of all time. It was just now transitioning from not just being able to dunk on people, but actually what type of career they had. And it was kind of who were you picking between Dominique Wilkins and Vince Carter? Better overall overall game, best burst person to provide the, to provide the helmets or to, to dunk on people. That, you know, so whether and then who had kind of like had a longer longer prime because I mean obviously Vince has been in the league for twenty years, but his first half of his career is pretty much what most people are gonna go off of and try to remember Vince for. So. Like I said, what's your take on the two? Um, it's like you have to be real tactical with how you go with this argument because, again, there's so many caveats. Like you said, Vince having a longer career, his prime effectively really being the first 10 seasons of his career. Well, actually – it it goes up till his age 32 season where he averaged 20.8 points per game as a New Jersey net. Mm-hmm. Everything after his last season as a net, I would consider to be the downside of his prime. He was 33 when he played that first year in Orlando, only scored 16 points again. He's never scored that much again per season. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. I don't want to, I don't want to use my analytical eye as far as statistics go to, to come out with things. I just feel like as we come to different facets of their career, as far as who I got more excited for, mind you, they played in two different eras. Mm-hmm. Dominique defied the laws of physics. I mean, the guy jumped in the air and then started doing things. Vince jumped in the air while doing something. It's almost like Vince is what Dominique begat, you know? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Like, like, you don't get the greatness in aerial displays that Vince Carter provides if there's no Dominique Wilkins to give him I guess, like a forefather or a blueprint to how about really going out being part of the helmet distribution committee? Because, you know, Vince and Dominique belong on the, on the all-helmet team. There's no taking away from that. Mm-hmm. That's a 10-man team of guys who, if you wanted to put them in the game with one purpose only, which was to give their opposing defender a helmet. Or their teammates. High up there. Or their teammates. Or teammates. Mm-hmm. No, I definitely... I mean, I don't think Vince approaches the level of helmet territory that Dominique got into but I think he's close mm-hmm. I still see I say I, I would say okay let's say this just sidebar for a second did Dominique Wilkins give out more helmets than Michael Jordan 
I think so. I think so. Is that margin huge or is it a debatable margin? I mean, it could be debatable, but I mean, Dominique was dunking on his own teammates off the off the follow. When they go always tell you to follow your shot. Dominique was known for that shooting a little free throw jump shot and then running in and dunking over his own yeah, teammates. Yeah, the um the, the Donovan Mitchell. Basically, so that's what I'm saying. So he's I mean, and he had Years of doing that. It wasn't like, oh, he did it one game. No, he was doing it a couple of games a season. You know, a couple. Yeah, po- that, 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 that was a pattern. So, that was yeah, like, it was like, I'm going to purposely miss this shot just so I can get a dunk. Like, I haven't dunked on somebody today. So, let me go ahead and do that. Or the jump shot not falling. So, let me do something that's going to get both hands on the rim so I can get that feel. So, let me just go catch this helmet and, and then, you know then the gun work will be a little bit more <laughs> a little bit more active. Yeah. Um Dominique stopped scoring at age 39. I'm about to say. I'm about to say cuz he remember he went overseas and played like in a Euro League and won like a Euro Championship or something like that. He played twice overseas. So 95-96 he went and played in Greece. 97-98 he went and played in Italy. The seasons in between pre pre predating those for Boston, he played 77 games and scored 17 points a game. Mm-hmm. And then the year after, he goes to Greece and comes back. He goes to San Antonio and scores 18 points a game. Yo, and, if, yo, and that's pre-10 Duncan. So, Dominique was number 21. So, that means he was the only other player to wear – well, he, won, he, won, he was the last person to wear 21 before Duncan. Mm. And that number ain't that's never going – and ain't number – nobody else could say that. Yeah, from, nobody's wearing 21 in silver and black ever, ever again. again. So, Dominic just like number 50 and probably number nine, of course, whatever yeah, Ginobili's yeah. number is like 20. Numbers. Yeah, yeah, but yeah, I mean, that's something to see. But like I said, I'm going with Dominique. Like I said, that's my yeah, I, I, I gotta go with Dominique career overall. Overall, like, yeah, yeah, because he the was, guy didn't literally stop scoring until he had one leg. Vince has been coasting for one, two, three, four, five seasons. And this next one is going to be his sixth season coasting. And he's going to be going on 43. Dominique hung it up at 39 going on 40. Mm-hmm. So, so yeah. And, his, and, and his, as far as points-wise, points, Dominique career has 26,668. Ooh, that's scary. And Vince is at 25,430. Obviously, their career averages aren't going to even be close because Dominique was putting up twenty up until up until literally like the last two seasons of his career. He uh-huh. at thirty four for the Clippers, he dropped twenty nine point one a game. This is and that was, with that, a new Achilles. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. So, and honestly, let's let's think about it for a second. And, I, and I, trust me when I say this, I could be definitely wrong. So I don't want our listeners to think that what I'm saying is gold, but. Dominique tore his Achilles. What major reconstructive surgery did Vince have? None. I mean, he had a number of different knee procedures because I believe, and this is something that I don't know a lot of, uh, a lot of pure basketball heads will know, but for some strange reason, there's a connection between guys who have freakish athletic, athletic ability and their knee cartilage not holding up. I guess it's the excessive amount of wear and tear from the landings that those guys accumulate. Mm. But eventually they wind up needing to get scopes and all those things. Like Vince was always getting his knees fondled with. 
<laughs> and during during his Toronto's years, like there was a oh, you know, we were doing a defibrillation or debriding or whatever the hell oh, phrase yeah, he got for going into his clean knee and cleaning some it out. out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Gotcha. Yeah. He he had a lot of those. Now a lot of those a, a lot of those procedures did nothing to affect his athleticism because I mean, come on, mm-hmm. forty two, four going on forty three years old. If Vince is coming down the lane, I'm sorry, I'm just gonna be there to take the ball out of um, there's not going to be no jumping activity. There's not going to be like, yo, watch out. No, push the big man in the way. Like, he's still giving out helmets. So, yeah, yeah. His athleticism is not something that, even with what he's lost, he still remains for his age group to be quite elite as far as his ability to get up and down when it comes to, to vertical. So, I'm not taking anything away from him, but yeah, he had a lot of work done. Dominique was an Iron Man up until that Achilles snap. Mm hmm. And even after the Achilles snap and he came back and was, you know, quote unquote fully healthy, he was still an Iron Man. Yeah. Like his games played per season always approached whatever the maximum allowable games was for him to play that year. You know? Mm-hmm. Vince has had quite a few seasons where, you know, he might have been there for the whole year, but he didn't start a lot of games, or if he did play, like I mean, look, going from 2012 to 2018, his total amount of starts is five, four. 7, 22, 27, plus 9, 36 times he started in the past seven seasons mm-hmm. versus Dominique, who he didn't know how not to start. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Until he played for Orlando. Exactly. So he couldn't get, and when he couldn't get starters minutes, I mean, well, he didn't start when he played in San Antonio. He, became, he, he played 63 games, only 26 of them he started. That's still a good percentage of games. But he still managed to play 30 minutes a game. Uh-huh. Vince Carter hasn't averaged 30 minutes a game, Shoot. again, since that year in Orlando. Yeah. He went to Phoenix the year after, 27, then 25, then 25, then 24, and so on. He got a lot of min- minutes his Memphis year, uh-huh. 20, 24 minutes a game. And he still only gave you eight points a game. So point being, like, I mean – and this is one of those rare instances where you could really say the numbers don't lie. You know, from a statistical standpoint, you know, Dominique Wilkins had the better career. Yeah. As far as, as, far as team helmet, like I said, I go with Dominique on that. Uh-huh. Even though I do believe that the helmets Vince gave you were more, like, awe-inspiring. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's also, yeah, and the clarity of television at that point, too, helps, you know. Uh, but I think, yeah, overall, Dominique has it. It's a... Uh, you know, Dominique was not known just as a dunker, but he was he would dunk on you in a heartbeat. And same thing with Vince, but I think Vince, most people were labeling him as a dunker because when you started seeing some of his career afterwards, it was like, ah, yeah, nah, this, the, the, the amount of the versatility in your game is, mm, it's not all of that. It's not like they, people weren't game planning for Vince the same way they were game planning for Dominique. I mean, with Dominic, you you definitely because he's playing almost forty minutes a game, thirty five to forty minutes a game, or thirty five to you know thirty five thirty nine minutes a game, and he's trying to outscore. At, so if you're playing defense on him, he's not letting up, and he's so the the, the quickness and the the bounce is just crazy. So it's like you know you know well, he never took. I mean, think about it. When you think about Dominic, you don't think about him taking nights off on offense. When you think about Vince, there's a, there's plenty of times where you was like, yeah, I think Vince kind of took the night off, and that's that to me. That's the separation is when when it's a guy that you know was gunning for you every single opportunity he gets, where it's another guy that's kind of letting you slide here and there. 
Yeah, but I'm not going to let you just pile on Vince like that. Vince Carter is one of the best all-time three-point shooters in NBA history. He's got a career average of 37% from the three-point line. He's made over 2,229 three-pointers in his career. He was a deadly three-point shooter. The only problem is is that the deadliest three-point shot he never made was the one that could have gotten him to the finals. Uh Uh Or to the Eastern Conference Finals. He goes to his graduation, comes back, plays that game, stunk it up. Stunk it up that game. He did not have a good game, but they still managed to hang in there. And with basically the, the, the last possession, he pump faked the guy. The guy goes flying by. He's got an uncontested three-point shot. He rimmed it. So that's the shot. And the one time, the one singular moment where you could say, hey, Vince is not clutch. But Vince has banged and rung the bell on the three-pointer consistently throughout his career. He's a phenomenal three-point shooter. Even now, he's still a really good three-point shooter. I don't know if you can consider that something that you, quote, unquote, have to game plan against or whatever the case may be. He was also very good from, from the two-point range. I mean, the guy's shooting 38% from three for his career and 46% from two-point. Those are very good percentages. He mm-hmm. was a scorer. He was a true threat on the court. He was dangerous from the triple threat. He was dangerous from the mid-post. He was dangerous off the one-on-one iso. He was deadly off the pick and roll. If he came off a curl for a three or for a trip to inside the lane, he was deadly with that, too. So I don't want to make this seem like, you know, hey, let's go ahead and discredit Vince. But I get what you're saying. There are some nights where it literally looked like Vince Carter was collecting a check. Uh-huh. And nobody can really ever say that about Dominique Wilkins. So you, you have a valid point there. But I also just want to, you know, counter that and do mention that it's not a, a knock on Vince. It's just to say, you know, the, the interpretation was different based off of, of what he put out there on the court. You know, like you saw a lot of Vince when Vince was doing well. You know what I'm saying? Uh-huh. Vince is out there dunking on people and scoring 28, 30 points a game. His personality was different. His energy was different. But when he was having an off night, you didn't notice him in other facets of the game like you would Dominique. Because Dominique would go out there and block a shot for a win. He would go out there and uh-huh. throw his body on the floor to get a steal. Or he would try to defend the other team's best player. You know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. this is a guy who went toe-to-toe with Larry Bird when Larry Bird was – the white Jesus. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, Dominique had that dog in him. And I think a lot of people will say, like you're saying, that that dog element of Vince Carter is just unfortunately missing. So that's why he's seen in a different light. But he's definitely, to me, still going to be a first ballot Hall of Famer. He, he, he essentially saved a facet of NBA All-Star Weekend with his performance at that All-Star contest when he won the dunk contest. Yeah. Because so, to this you know, day, people are still talking about that i mean he re-energized the whole aerial aspect of being an nba player uh-huh. because i mean after him you know guys that started winning the dunk contest they literally had no other skill yeah 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 for like three years in a row after he won the dunk contest like it didn't matter what the other guy actually did on the court it was like oh well, we're gonna make him dunk contest champion and then you know his season stats would be you know nothing true true you know yeah, like yeah. the desmond masons and Uh, Fred Jones. Yeah, Fred Jones. Guys who, you know, I don't want to take away from their careers either, but these are not guys who went on to have any type of star power in the league. Yeah, they're not Dominique Vince. Yeah, they're not Dominique Vince who won a dunk contest and still gets almost 30 a night. Yeah, Vince wins the dunk contest and then goes out and makes himself arguably one of the 10 best players in the league. So, you know, there's, there's few and far between with guys like that. I think Donovan Mitchell might have an opportunity to do that, you know, to really like catapult himself, mm-hmm. 
a lot of that is going to, you know, play out with how he matures on this Team USA. Given Donovan's only 22. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. Exactly. Kimba's, what, 27, 28? So getting back to Team USA, because we know we're kind of like in wrap-up phase, cool down. I, I, I'm, I'm curious to see if the U.S. does pull it together, what it's actually going to take. I mean, my problem that I noticed was that Popovich pulled the bigs from that game. Mm-hmm. There were times out there where they had no big man whatsoever. I mean, no Brooke Lopez, no um, Miles Turner. Like, mm-hmm. literally neither one of those two guys were on the floor. And they were playing with, you know, essentially two guards and three forwards. And they weren't even big forwards because they don't have any actual power forwards on that roster. True, true, very true. And honestly, the, the demise of the power forward is becoming clearer and clearer by the day. Like, you know, that knucklehead big man who plays in between what a center does. Nowadays, everybody's power forward is a stretch for. Yeah. And in competition like this, that, that's when, you know, that's when you need a Kenneth Fareed. You know? Yeah, you, you, you need, need an a, energy guy. Energy guy is really You need an energy defense. guy who's just going to run around and set picks all possession. Yep, and 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 he get clean up the glass and or the potential of playing help defense and altering shots. Correct, because you don't have that. I mean, like you said, Kimba Walker had to take a charge, and that's not to say that guards shouldn't take charges. Certainly, they should. But when your key defensive play is coming from the top of your defense, that means the rest of your defense is not really doing much. Mm-hmm. Because a guard's job is typically to shade a guy into a bad offensive decision so that his help can finalize that and that he can get the outlet and, and keep the – but if your guard is charged with, all right, I got to take this in my hands, that speaks a lot about the other four guys he has around him and how he feels about them. I'm not saying he doesn't have faith and belief in them, but I knew he knew in that moment, like, I've got to do something. Mm-hmm. And he did. Yeah. So, so, so it is a relief that they do have people on the roster who understand the significance of the situation and, and, and will, you know, step up to it. But it also is a little, you know, it, it's nerve-wracking, man. Absolutely. Nerve-wracking, man. I mean, not to say we're spoiled, but we are spoiled, man. Team USA, we don't, we don't, we don't lose basketball competitions. Well, That's not what we do. Yeah, I mean, I think, I think when, you, when you also consider – you have a team consistent of the entire roster as NBA players, which the NBA is the, the, the pinnacle. So when you got the entire team, it's almost like you're, you're playing with the cheat code. So it's like, wait a second, I got the cheat code. How am I losing? You know, and that, that's why I think a lot of teams see it because, when you, because you actually you have some of these players that are playing for these other countries that got dual citizenship, but they were, they were guys that were in college that just – couldn't get drafted by the NBA or they couldn't stick around in the NBA. Or and, they're on NBA teams. They are U.S. citizens, but like you said, they have dual citizenship and they know they'll never get a shot to play for Team USA. Mm-hmm. Like, I think uh, it, it was Andre Blatch or somebody like that is playing for Thailand? Yeah, probably. probably. Andre Blatch was, was, was once like a highly coveted six-man playing for the Washington Wizards during the Gilbert Arenas era where Gilbert was getting everybody paid, and he was the last one to get a check. Uh-huh. The only problem was that check wound up getting traded to the Nets, and by that time, he was absolutely no good at, at anything worthwhile for his size and skill level in the NBA. True. So he washed out of the league, goes out overseas, 
he's getting them overseas bags. And obviously he was doing them in Asia because they was quick to give him a citizenship. I don't know what you got to do out there. Like, you know, I guess you got to eat cooked dog and then, you know, you automatically get to become a citizen of that country or whatever the case may be to, to get that passport greenlighted. Cause it's, it's just amazing. Like I think who, who else is it? Who could do that? Like Kyrie Irving? No, no, it's not Kyrie Irving because he's got Cherokee nation, but there's another prominent NBA player who has a situation like that where his heritage would allow him to play for the national team of another country, but he's actually really good. So, mm. so that might, that might come to rear its head. Like when, when the bigger international competitions come into play, but yeah, like you were saying, like there's a lot of these guys lurking on these teams who they've been in the system of American basketball. They've got scouting reports and tendencies on these guys that are in the NBA. And that just goes to show that the separation between these guys not being in the NBA versus the guys who are playing for Team USA is really not as big as we might think sometimes. Exactly. You know? Exactly. Especially when you see a guy like Nikola Miritic who walked away from an American bag to go get a, a Spanish bag that was way less monetarily than what he would have got staying in America. Like you're looking at him getting somewhere in the 10 million plus range had he stayed another year in the United States and played for another team, he goes to like Real Madrid for 2.1 million a year. Uh-huh, uh-huh. The American game is not for every type of player. Very true, very true, extremely true. And these guys take that grudge with them when they go into these international competitions. They love, like if you watch the body language and how hard these guys celebrate, uh-huh. like half of that is national pride. Well, not even half. 25% of that national pride and 75% of that is like middle finger to the haters. Yeah, but that's the the energy. Exactly. I think one key thing, too, is these other countries, they grow up wanting to play for their country, where guys in it, the the goal for the NBA, a kid, is to go to the NBA. It's not to go, let me go play for my country. So I think that also is a big facet, too. These guys are hungry because they get they're living out their dream where NBA is like nah I'm I've made to the league I'm I'm that's that was my dream this this is why it's so easy for me to turn down the the request it's like yeah because that's not a goal of this let's go and let's go to another brief thing and this is more sociological and political but not every kid growing up in America is so proud of the fact that they grew up in America that they want to wear those stars and stripes. You know, so you don't always have that nationalist pride for your country that these kids in these other countries have. So these other countries, that's all they have. That's all they know. In the United States, we're, we're, we're such a divided country that like, you know, there's guys who would play for the city of Baltimore quicker than they would Team USA. There's guys that if you lined up an all, a all California team, you wouldn't be able to stop players from trying to be a part of that roster. You know, like, let's put together the, the, the best basketball players in the United States that all come from California. You got Kawhi Leonard, Paul George, and so on and so mm-hmm, forth. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of divide and conquer going on within the United States alone so that when you bring back that whole idea of playing for your country, it doesn't ring the same bell like you were saying with some of these kids who all they know is the entirety of their country. That, that's, that's it. Yeah. United States, you got, you, got your, you got your city, you got your block, you got your state, mm-hmm. you got your hood. Then you get to the NBA, you got the city that you're playing for, your franchise, you got the previous college community that you used to play for. Like, there's all these different little niches that you've acquired before you finally get to the NBA. By the time you get there, like, the whole prospect of playing for your country is is not always going to have the same allure to every kid, you know? Uh A lot of kids grew up watching the Redeem team, and they were just like, yo, man, how long is it going to take y'all to put these dudes to sleep? (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's the thing. I mean, 
Yeah, we grew up. We grew up with the with, with the dream team being forefront, and we like, yo, we got to go and get this back. Mm-hmm. Take that, yeah. take that. Like there, there was a big time P Diddy energy to watching the the dream team just absolutely, absolutely just like beat the brakes. Yeah, when you when off you, of these countries, when you went about fifty points to the point where you holding teams to like a one no to single digits for for a whole half, you know. But yeah. you know it's something when. The opposing team wants to take pictures with the people that are beating the brakes off of them. So, you know, like I said, nowadays, those these these other countries are looking like, yeah, I don't want a picture with Marcus Smart. Nah, who? who? You know, I'm yeah. get out of here, man. So that that it'll be like I said, or or like you said, or, or like I was hinting to. I played in the Big Twelve with Marcus Smart. We beat him. Mm-hmm. We beat him when he played on Oklahoma State. Matter of fact, I was there when he went and fought the fan. Like, all we got to do is get in his head. Like, again, what, what the Dream Team did was expand the game, and they made the game more accessible to the world, and the world took advantage. And now you've got kids who they come to America, they play four years of college, they go back home and play for their, for their, for their local team in the country that they come from. They don't forget. Mm-hmm. And when it's their time to suit up, like you said, they're ready to go. Because they don't want to be, like we mentioned, they don't want to be that team getting smacked by 45 or didn't get the double digits by halftime. They want to be that team that said, hey, yo, we punched America in the mouth. We sent them home bleeding. So the, the dream team definitely did set a precedent for, for that energy to be ready for all these, you know, the international competition. And I really do hope that America finds its way because, I mean, really the rule of a tournament is to survive in advance. So I, I hope they continue to, to figure out ways as they, they continue to advance. They're, they're already in the second round. Hopefully Tatum comes around healthy and, you know, we see the best that that team can put together on the court for the remainder of the tournament. Um, I think mm-hmm. we've come full circle. Yes, sir. Um, again, as always, Big time thank you to all of the contributors, all the likes that we get on the Facebook page that we just created. We appreciate y'all. Um, I think the Twitter account is going to be active soon, and we're definitely going to be figuring out how to go live from YouTube. So look out for that, because once the NBA season goes active, we'll probably be doing video lives, and we'll be looking to incorporate the people that do have the time to contribute to, you know, be a part of the live experience. We'll probably do that maybe like, wait, what do you think? Like maybe once or twice a month, something like that? Yeah, we'll figure it out what makes the most sense and how, how the first – couple ones i think once we could once we identify that platform to use and how smooth it goes that makes it a lot easier to make that uh, like a monthly type event or maybe a bi-weekly type event so yeah definitely we definitely get it going like i said we got the views from the clutch at gmail.com for anybody that's interested in wanting to send us some emails or some feedback we definitely appreciate it yeah, man, and definitely, definitely, if you can, if you're on the Anchor app or any of the podcast app that I'll leave you, allow you to leave us a voicemail, go ahead and leave us a voice note. We enjoy those. We appreciate it. And on that note, I'll call it a night, y'all. Yes, sir. We'll, we'll, peace. Peace.